Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos at Equity Bruin on Twitter. I'm joined by Avery at Brave Grapes. Hi. And our newest edition, Reed at MF underscore Reed. What a great day to be a Duck fan. Yeah, welcome, Reed. <laughs> welcome, Reed. Uh, Matt, it's it's interesting. Your first episode here, Matt and Greg are both gone. <laughs> I'm hearing I'm hearing reports that there are internal uh, <laughs> conflicts happening within no truck stops. I'm worried about uh, the roster management here, the depth chart. Anyway, when we're glad, Reed, you're coming at this very tumultuous time where no truck stops is falling apart. But uh, I've, we're we're glad to have you. What do you what do you have to say for yourself for coming on and getting in the mud with us? Thought you were better than this. It's just a great week to be joining, I would say. That's that's I'm most excited about the timing. <laughs> I think that Reed absolutely would have quit before he started if UCLA beat Oregon. But that's just my fun little theory that's I'm gonna hold close to my heart. Uh it's a good theory. It's a good theory. Well, welcome, Reed. We're glad to have you talk uh with football with us for the rest of the season anyway week eight of pac-12 football is in the books and it was mostly very boring uh we'll talk about the only exciting game of the week oregon completely clowning ucla we'll talk about our mvps we'll talk about the pac-12 quarterbacks we'll make our game predictions but first a programming note basketball's back uh we're dropping our first pac-12 basketball episode on november 1 one week before the season tips off on november 8th Last year, we were told that no one cares about Pac-12 basketball, but people tuned in to No Truck Stops and talked hoops with us. Uh, So we're really excited to talk shooty hoops. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Our first episode is going to be a preview. We have cornered the market. We have cornered the market of Pac-12 basketball. It's beautiful. It's perfect. Our first episode is going to be a preview episode where we're going to share some of the biggest storylines of the season, rank the teams preseason, push our own agendas about Pac-12 basketball, all that good stuff. Uh, is Utah Utah going to be good this year, Grapes? They uh, they actually are going to have no. a good season? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, how sad. How sad. Anyway, uh, so there's that. You got that to look forward to coming next Tuesday. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Also, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We moved up now. We're at 3.3 stars. We're big time now. Um, special thanks to Hambulance9, who wrote a five-star review, saying, genuinely sharp banter. <laughs> Gives me at least one laugh per episode. Much more bearable to listen to now that UCLA is back. Do not listen if you're a fan of any team not named Utah or Oregon State. Uh, that aged poorly. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was uh, that was a thank you to Hambulance, you sweet summer spirit. UCLA is no longer back. So unfortunately, <laughs> this podcast is no longer bearable. Um, I, I'm sorry for both you and me, Hambulance. Anyway, uh, we only have one more week to get to 3.5 stars. If we don't get to five stars, we have to fire Reed. Um, that's just what his contract <laughs> says. Uh, so if you love the show and you love Reed, the least you can do is is drop five stars on Apple Podcasts. Okay, uh, last thing. We have a lot of Pac-12 discourse content nonsense all on our Patreon at NoTruckStops.com. Every Tuesday evening, Grapes and I overreact to Pac-12 happenings and end up doing some weirdo narrative-driven previews, talk about everything else that's going on in the Pac-12. Meanwhile, Matt and Greg drop their weekly Pac-12 preview from a gambling perspective on Thursday mornings. Um, and now I think Reed is going to have a, a Patreon episode also, right, Reed? Yeah, I'm I'm going to do kind of an adaptation of the Pac-12 game of the week, more of a preview episode, still ironing out the details in terms of guests and co-hosts that will be on that one, but uh, definitely excited for that. Well, that, that'll be uh, fun. We're looking forward to that. So if you want access to all of that, access to our Discord, access to live recordings of these shows, go check out our Patreon at NoTruckStops.com. Okay, uh, let's let's just get right into it. Uh, let's start with a recap of all that went down in the Pac-12 this past weekend. Matthew Hubertson is out. He normally does these, so... 
the first thing that we're giving to Reed, uh, a lightning quick recap of our weekend this weekend in the Pac-12. Go for it, Reed. To start the day, Oregon controlled a high-scoring game against the conference's final undefeated team, UCLA. Uh, This was easily the Ducks' best one of the season, and Oregon earned the clearest path to the Pac-12 title game in the process. Uh, Meanwhile, in Stanford, uh, they eked out a 15-14 win over Arizona State. That marked Stanford's second FBS win in a row after losing their previous 11 and hopefully that's enough to extend David Shaw at least a few more years for the rest of the conference. <laughs> uh, in the graveyard, Beavlet rolled past the Buffs 42-29, proving that Colorado's win over Cal was an anomaly last week. Uh, and speaking of Cal, the Golden Bears dropped an ugly one to UW in Berkeley. After a slow start, uh, both offenses started to click in the second half, but Cal's comeback hopes ended on a Jack Plummer interception in the final minute moving Cal to three and four and putting their bowl season hopes in serious jeopardy. Thank you. Recap. Perfect. Uh, thank you. Recap. I was going to say, thank you. Recap. Perfect. Read. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Reed. Recap. Perfect. Recap. Uh, okay. Let's start with the marquee game this week. Uh, as Reed just said, Oregon smothered UCLA 45 to 30 in Eugene. This was the uh, college game day game. Uh, Oregon won this one, I think, more convincingly than the score indicates. Oregon actually led at halftime 31-13, to and UCLA never never threatened to meaningfully uh, shorten this lead. So, Reed, I already know you're going to be truly insufferable. Here's the thing about Reed, if people don't know. We've interacted with Reed so much uh, over the past, I don't know, year or so, two years. I, I don't even know when we started talking with Reed a lot. Um Reed Reed doesn't sound like his tone of voice and the way he says things doesn't sound insufferable. He's not doing it on purpose, but he is very insufferable when he when he just talks like <laughs> earnestly. So Reed, I know you're going to be insufferable. Let's just let's just rip off the bandaid uh, here. What did you think of this game, uh, this Oregon UCLA game? I think the first thing we have to talk about is Kenny Dillingham and the Oregon offense. There are a lot of criticisms of that hire going into the year. It was you know probably the guy with the least proven resume of anyone on Oregon staff. And he was being given the keys to the offense, which was maybe the most important hire. Uh, And he's proven to be elite for the Ducks so far. And this game was probably his best performance yet. Uh, The Ducks, I think, you know, it was a field goal on their first drive and then rattled off seven or six touchdown drives in a row. That was, you know, what put the game away more than anything. Uh, And this Oregon offense is rounding into maybe the best group in the conference, led by probably the best offensive line in the conference. Uh, But I think the other part of this game was just elite game management uh, from Dan Lanning, because that's something Oregon fans hadn't experienced under Cristobal at all. Uh, And I would say that Oregon translated every bit of advantage they had on a per play basis into a margin of victory on the scoreboard, whether it was the onside kick or scoring with 10 seconds left in the first half or bleeding out the clock in the fourth quarter. It was just a nearly flawlessly uh, managed game from Lanning. Let's talk about that uh, onside kick. Cause I, I think that for me watching that game was the, uh, I don't love to say that games were decided like in the, second or third quarter or whatever that was the second quarter that felt like it decided the game um so dan landing in the second quarter oregon goes up do you know do you remember the score on that i think oregon went up like i think it was 17 10 when oregon kicked it and they went up 24 10 afterwards if i'm if yeah I that's right. right uh that came that came midway through the second quarter this was here's why it was so important uh 
Dan Lanning knew that this game was going to be a track meet. Uh, he knew that or that UCLA was possibly going to be able to get whatever it wanted offensively. He knew he knew that this game could go back and forth. It might be one of those games where um, uh, it's sort of a matter of who gets the last stop. That's not totally how it ended up working out, but I think it didn't work out that way in part due to this decision here. Dan Lanning stole a possession. Like he just straight up stole a possession from UCLA and got a touchdown and went up two scores. We knew coming into this game, we had talked about on this podcast, we had talked about on Twitter, like the first team to get a two score lead was going to be able to win the game. Um, and, and Dan Lanning, I think knew that, uh, I think not only that, but I also wonder how much of the, the fact that Oregon won or that UCLA won the coin toss and was going to get the ball back to start the half factored into this decision, knowing that, if UCLA could win the quote middle eight, uh, where where if UCLA gets a score at the end of the second half, they'd get the ball back and they would have the opportunity to go up two scores or to go up a score or whatever, and sort of um, um, be the team that that is the one that's ahead while the other one's trying to catch up. This right here flipped that script almost immediately. It took the control of the game out of Chip Kelly and UCLA's hands. It was a it was a brilliant decision. There's like no other way to talk. There's no other way to to describe it. It was if it didn't work, like whatever, who cares? UCLA was going to probably score or get close to scoring anyway. Um, so that was that was incredible. I don't know, Avery. What did you think of that decision? And did you did you feel like it also flipped the the script? UCLA didn't punt the ball once in this game. <laughs> I don't think that. I don't no, think they, they did. No, yeah. there might they have been punt one once. punt. They this scored whole game. on every single yeah. drive they had. There's there's a. F- there's a fourth down uh, interception. Yeah, uh, but M- no much puns. late in yeah. the game when that no when that game was well in hand and it was sort of like we just got to get something right. here. And I think that's similar to how UCLA has played all year, where they like pretty consistently scored on almost every single drive. Like I would say, other than like those sloppy games at the beginning against like South Alabama, you didn't see much punting out of UCLA. Um, and so I think that just goes to show like how well. Oregon's uh, coaching staff had this game like under lock from just like the film watching perspective. I was super impressed with that decision to go um, to kick the onside kick. I did not see it coming. And I think that just shows how good it was because it totally flipped the game for them. Getting back-to-back scoring drives just totally put them ahead of UCLA and UCLA couldn't come back from that because UCLA's defense just wasn't doing enough. Um, and I, I know Carlos has a lot of thoughts on the defense, but I just wanted to say that I knew UCLA's defense wasn't good, <laughs> and Carlos tried to convince me that they were good, and he was wrong. I didn't, so, I don't know if Carlos, I let's hear your thoughts on the defense. <laughs> we, uh, well, let's stick with Oregon. I think we probably should stick with Oregon for a little bit longer, even though it's very, very annoying. I was trying I know, to do know, a segue for you. But uh, I, I just, I just, uh, <laughs> I, I know that Oregon's going to be the story of this game, and I, and I completely understand it. Chad put in the chat: uh, first seven drives for Oregon, six touchdowns, and one field goal for Oregon. Uh, that was, I think, the first punt of this game. The only punt, not just the first, the only punt of this game, didn't come until what is this? Uh, this is uh, six minutes left in the fourth quarter this game almost kind of went exactly as we expected in that both offenses were getting a lot of what it wanted Oregon just held up in the red zone and uh on um in on their side of the field defensively I think a little bit better than than we had expected uh UCLA still did get a lot of what it wanted but Oregon's defense held when it needed to I don't know Reed what did you think about Oregon's defense here I thought they held in the red zone was the big thing and they were helped by a really good offensive performance and stealing that extra possession also made it so that 
Oregon's defense was a lot fresher than UCLA's as the game wore on. Um, but I would say a big test going into it was would Oregon be able to limit Zach Charbonnet in the run game? And the answer to that was honestly, no, like they didn't end up needing to, but, uh, Charbonnet was, you know, looked again, like the best running back in the conference. Um, but the other side of that is I think UCLA is in some trouble once DTR and Charbonnet leave, because I don't know what is left of their offense without those two guys. That's true. Yeah, Charbonnet had an amazing game, like 150 151 yards. 151 yards, 20 carries. Right. Uh, and I don't think you can I don't think you can game plan against him. I don't think there's a defense in the conference that's good enough to like shut him down. So I really liked Oregon's defensive philosophy here. Chad said it, Ben don't break. Like you're not gonna win by scoring field goals in Autzen. Uh yeah. I think that was that was a big one. We can we can transition over here to talk about UCLA and like I guess we can start with our offense. Our offense got what it wanted, I think, for the most part. They almost had they had four hundred and fifty yards of offense. Um they kind of struggled a little bit in the they, they did struggle in the red zone. I think some of those there was a couple of key decisions that Chad in the chat sort of uh, uh alluded to here was uh, early on um in the first half UCLA elected to kip, kick a couple of, of field goals. Um, this is sort of in the late in the first half, early in the second quarter, first quarter, early in the second quarter. Um, UCLA had drove the ball downfield, stalled out a little bit, and decided uh, to go for three. These were, I'm j- I'll just say, these were horrific decisions. Uh, I think not understanding that UCLA's defense was not going to stop Oregon um they hadn't stopped Oregon up until that point they were down 24 to 10 after that onside kick um and they elected to kick a field goal to cut the lead from 24 to 13 um and what did Oregon do immediately they went and got a touchdown um to put them up 31 to 13 and to come out of the the sort of in to start the second half uh UCLA had the ball down 31 13 and again elected to kick a field goal now it was like fourth and nine but you're like on the you're you're in the red zone you're on the Oregon 15 it was a short field goal I get it it cuts it technically to two scores but like UCLA's defense had not stopped Oregon it was not going to stop Oregon everyone watching this game knew that UCLA was not gonna be able to stop Oregon the best they could do is try to keep up and hope that Oregon makes a mistake right and maybe if uh UCLA is nipping on their heels maybe Oregon does make a mistake maybe they try to play a little bit more aggressive it felt like uh, it felt like Oregon was going conservative and trying to run out the clock like early on in the third quarter and it worked because UCLA couldn't stop them so like if you force them to throw a little bit more force them to be a little bit more aggressive maybe you get something but really those field goals were disastrous decisions they kept UCLA behind in a game that like you know, was going to be about touchdowns and it was all about touchdowns. No one punted in this game. Um, so that was a tough decision there from, from Chip Kelly. Yeah. I think another potential turning point in this game that didn't end up happening was on the first two drives, DTR threw the ball into Oregon DB's hands, like in the end zone, Brian Addison had the ball in his hands. And then on the second drive, he threw one that was basically a jump ball to Christian Gonzalez and the UCLA wide receiver did a great job of turning into a defender and breaking it up. But those were two really questionable decisions from DTR and not great throws that could have put this game out of reach almost immediately. Um, And they ended up surviving those. But I think talking about DTR is important here. Like, I don't think he had an excellent game, uh, but I think avoiding those two mistakes, like it, he ended up doing enough to stay 
uh, you know, competitive on the offensive side, but the defense did them no favors. Yeah, DTR I think had a had a had a pretty good game. I mean, this is this is the worst he's looked all season. But considering that, I mean, it just felt like Oregon was putting him in, forcing him to make some really tough decisions. Uh, it felt like. Oregon had enough speed. Their linebackers were fast enough, even though they didn't play particularly well this game. I don't think they they were fast enough, and the and the line was fast enough to force DTR to not humiliate them. Like he was he was sort of getting out. He was making um, sure negative plays into sort of neutral plays, net zero plays, bailing them out frequently. You, see, I, I thought DTR was. I think some people will sort of come away th- thinking less of DTR. I don't. Um, I, I think less of the the team around him i think less of ucla's offensive line i think less of ucla's receivers uh i certainly think less of ucla's offensive line relative to oregon's defense uh defensive line yeah i was told that i was i was told that ucla had the best defense in the conference and while i say for like the eighth week in the row that the pac-12 has no good defenses there are no good defenses in this entire conference but ucla's is definitely not the best they were not great in this game i think that oregon had an amazing game plan and i think they executed the way they needed to i don't want to take anything away from oregon but ucla's defense is about what we thought it was they're not going to hold up against any good let alone elite offenses um they obviously let Oregon score almost every single drive. And I think it's rather dumb that someone on this podcast um, has been trying to tell us that UCLA's defense is elite. I know I said a few weeks ago that UCLA was fraudulent and I got like very exposed because they went on to beat Washington and then Utah. But I'm here to say that, again, I am never wrong. I am just early and I put my weight behind the wrong week. So here we are. Thank you, Oregon, for exposing these frauds. I think that's a great point. UCLA's defense is not elite. Uh, and I don't think there is one in the Pac-12. But, I mean, one question would be, like, how do who is the best defense in this conference? And given what we saw from Oregon this week, weekend, how do you think they would fare against the Ducks? It's probably Oregon State. I don't know. I've gone back between Oregon State and Wazoo a lot. Um, I think that, goodness, Oregon State's, just very well coached their defensive backs swarm they're all over the ball they're everywhere it's like very impressive especially when you compare it to last year where it felt like Oregon State needed so much to just get a stop I feel like they've been very efficient and that's why they had low scoring games against USC who has a better offense and even like Utah with how how bad the quarterback play was on Oregon State like Oregon State's defense kept them relatively in that game but again, like I don't think they're elite. They don't have the talent to be elite just by comparison to the rest of the defenses I've seen. Wazoo's is still really solid. It's just hard because they face a lot of injuries and yeah. their offense is so one-dimensional that they're on the field a lot. And then there's <laughs> Cal. Cal's defense is like fairly good. <laughs> um, yeah. Cal's defense really shut down UW last night for, and we'll talk about it, an entire half. At the end of the day, I'm not sure that like really any of them are going to be able to shut down Oregon. I think Oregon State, Oregon at the end of the year in Corvallis is a very interesting game because we're getting to the point where Oregon very well might have the best offense in this conference or at least like one of the more complete teams in this conference. And I'm really excited to see what that would look like against Oregon State. There aren't any defenses in the conference that can stop any of the top four, I don't think. Which is why, yeah. again, we had the second game in a row, the third game in a row, right? We had Utah, UCLA, 
No one was able to get uh like no one was able to stop the other offense. We had USC Utah. Neither team was able to get uh, many stops against those offenses. And then we had UCLA Oregon once again. Like no one, no no defense. Not, neither of the defenses were actually able to get uh, many stops in this in that game. In fact, one punt in that whole game should tell you what that is. Sorry, Reed, I cut you off. Yeah, I know you're totally right. I think that also those those top defenses like UCLA and USC, um, the reason why we've thought they were good or when they've been good has been because of turnovers. And oh, yeah. Oregon's offense has shown an ability to limit turnovers. Uh, the running backs haven't fumbled at all, and you know, Bonix in the past few weeks has avoided making those costly interceptions. Uh, and I think the same is true of most of these elite offenses. So when you remove turnovers from the equation, I think even the better defenses in this league, uh, like lose all hope from getting a stop. We got to talk about Bonix. He was, uh, he was incredible this game. Uh, He was, he was unreal. Like he was, he looked, he will talk about quarterbacks later. He looked like one of the three best quarterbacks of the Pac-12. Um, it, it, in addition to sort of making really sharp decisions with his legs um, and really punishing UCLA for their pass rush, uh, he was also just uh, throwing great balls. Um, and a couple of them were sort of way tougher than anything I think we'd seen him throw this year. He was awesome. I don't know. What did you all think of Bo Nix's performance? He had five passing touchdowns in this game. Five. Uh, I think that the reason Matt and Greg aren't here is because they want to avoid talking about elite Bo, Bo Nix. <laughs> because we're here. We have arrived at the point where like Bo Nix is played like a good quarterback. He's done every doubt I've had about Bo Nix. He has like, made up for. He has proven me wrong every single time. Bo Nix has been an extremely solid, solid quarterback. He's been very good. And... It's time. It's time to talk about it, Matt. Matt, if you're out there, you have to admit that bad Bonix is not a thing. Um, he's been lost in the ether. We are we are at Bonix or Heisman time now. <laughs> Reed, what did you think of Bonix's performance? I think he's been put in a great position by the offensive line first and foremost. Yes, but this game also featured some third and long, some tough spots for Oregon and Bo Nix was the guy who solved that almost every time it felt like you know there were some fourth and shorts early in the early in the second half that Oregon really needed to convert uh, and Bo Nix got those done uh, and then late to put the game away he scrambled on like a third and 12 or something um, so he's been able to do it with his legs or with his arms testing you UCLA secondary I mean the deep shot to Troy Franklin was huge in this game uh, and then a few other times he just caught UCLA's DBs uh, lacking. And then, you know, they basically had to hold on for dear life and get a pass interference call. Chad says of UCLA, no recruiting, just praying kids want to come from the portal. I think uh, uh, this was uh, Chad is getting at something I hear that I think was a, a big factor in this game that uh, needs to be highlighted, which is the talent disparity between these two teams. The talent disparity is severe. Um, Oregon's offensive line and Oregon's defensive line did whatever they wanted against a UCLA, maybe less so the UCLA offensive line. I think uh, even then, I, I sort of felt like DTR and Zach Charbonnet were sort of making uh, making magic out of, out of nothing. Uh, but Oregon dominated. Uh, UCLA on the lines and it also felt like uh, UCLA's DBs were wildly out talented by Oregon's receivers it was sort of like yep. they were just getting straight up beat regularly yeah um, shout out to Troy Franklin he was yeah. incredible in this game absolutely 
beat just just humiliated UCLA's defensive backs. UCLA's tackling surprisingly good. I will say that's probably the one thing good thing about this UCLA defense. I think they when they were in the area and were able to make a tackle, they did make the tackle. The problem is they were frequently out of position because they got beat. They just flat out got beat. They did not have enough talent to. They let Bo Nix sit back there, or they sort of uh, weren't able to to uh, make Bo Nix feel any pressure. Were sort of letting him run around wherever he wanted to. UCLA's uh, defense, I think their offense, this is true of their offense too, but their defense is wildly under-talented compared to Oregon's offense and compared to Oregon's defense. So uh, the talent sort of winning out here, I think, was the big story for me, above all of the coaching decisions. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that if there is such thing as a bad Bonix, we're not going to see it because there's not a conference, there's not a defense in this conference that's competent enough to like actually expose anyone. Like he's been playing solidly enough against like the fact that he was able to do what he did against Wazoo, who is rated as probably the best defense in the conference. Like I don't, people keep talking about how Bonix is bad. It's we're not going to see it until bowl season if that's true. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, well, that was UCLA, Oregon, uh, clearly the sort of like rethinking what we think about the Pac-12. I will say, though, um, just really, really quick. I know that I said it was going to be the last thing. I don't think UCLA is fraudulent. Um, I think they're good. Uh, I don't think that they're Okay, but it's more fun to call them fraudulent. So. I, I, <laughs> I would say they're on, they're on fraud watch. We need I'm to act th- in extremes. I, I'm going to say that UCLA is on fraud watch. Uh, I think if they don't look good against Stanford and Arizona State, if they look bad or if they lose one of those games, fraud watch. They, 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 don't go, they go off you're fraud telling, watch. They become you're fraudulent. telling me they're on fraud watch and then they play Stanford? Hey, <laughs> Stanford's terrible. Two in a row. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. That's not a team you want to go up against that's when true. you're on fraud watch. Uh, that's true. <laughs> Oh my God! I am not looking forward to that. All right, let's let's move on though. Uh, let's talk about Washington, <laughs> Washington at Cal. Uh, Avery, please take us away with this truly insane game. Okay, the way we break down our show is we do like the most important game of the week, then we do like the B games, and then we do the rest of the games. And I just feel confident in saying that this is not even a B game, but I just <laughs> <laughs> it needs its own segment. So, in what I believe is the stupidest Pac-12 game of the year so far. UW took care of question mark, question mark, question mark, Cal in Berkeley. This game was so fucking dumb. I'm assuming most people listening to this did not watch it. Um, I have been so confused. I've never been so confused watching a football game in my life. At the end of the first half, UW was up 6-0. Cal's defense looked absolutely otherworldly while their offense looked like shit, the shit we've seen all season long. Um, when Jack Bummer and Jaden Knott stormed down the field on the first drive of the third quarter for Cal's first score and first touchdown of the day, I was convinced that this game was ending 7-6 to six because that feels like an appropriate outcome for UW Cal. <laughs> I, as usually, was wrong. Um, UW answered with their first touchdown of the game and got the two-point conversion to make it 14-7. to And it seemed like we were in for a shootout because on the next drive, Jack Plummer <laughs> threw a 48-yard <laughs> touchdown pass. 48 yards. I think that's more than he had thrown in this game at that point. Um, UW then scored another touchdown to make it 21-14. to And I was like, what the fuck is happening? But then they held Cal for three and out, which is what I expected. Um, UW went down to score another touchdown to go 28-14. I thought the game was over. Cal looked like they were out of juice. But then they scored another touchdown. Like, absolutely (laughs) fucking insane. I don't know what was happening. Um, 
after a couple of stupid drives where UW had some terrible time clock management, they ended up punting, Cal punted. It looked like the game was over. UW had the ball with like a minute and a half left. They insisted on throwing the ball instead of running and burning <laughs> Cal's timeouts. So Cal got a stop. They ended up with a ball. They had like decent field position. They were around the 35-yard line. Um, and they blew it. They they blew it. It was I, I thought Cal was going to come back. I thought they were going to lead us to overtime, um, hit the over, but they blew their shot to tie things up with a mind-boggling fourth down play that it seemed like nobody on Cal was prepared for. Like, nobody was even... None of the receivers were even looking at Jack Plummer, um, and it ended in a pick. So that's about that's about as cursed as it can get. That game was absolutely cursed. So I enjoyed every second of it, um, and I'm curious: Does anyone come away from this game feeling better about Cal or UW, worse about them? Reed, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I would start with Cal lost to Colorado last week. So <laughs> coming <laughs> coming off of that. I guess they look better than I thought they were. Like, <laughs> I mean, so the defense—the defense is encouraging. Like, it's upper half of the conference for whatever that means in the Pac-12. Don't know what that um, means. <laughs> oh yeah, um, Chad just messaged and said first half point six, second half points forty-three. Yeah, truly unhinged. This is okay. I think that Cal and Utah have like the most unhinged series, most cursed series of any conference pac 12 teams in the conference like every year i feel like it's something fucking crazy and this did not disappoint but i agree like you can't not feel better about cal just because they lost to colorado this is my bad vibes game and holy shit the vibes were bad um and i don't know why i ever trust cal to get anything done because jesus christ they could have easily taken that game over if they had like me as a a tackle on their (laughs) offensive line so fucking bad yeah it was uh uh sorry i don't know what y'all are talking about uh no i feel worse about these teams what the fuck are you talking about no i don't feel good about cal yeah yeah i get it uh well they they were competitive with in comparison to last week right (laughs) they were able to stop washington's offense they were able to stop michael Penix for an entire half hold them to two field goals whereas colorado just danced all over them last week i guess i guess and like you know jack Plummer. like honestly this me saying anything good about cal is more for me an indictment on washington than it is uh like oh yeah i feel good about cal jack Plummer went off of this game let me just say those words for you in sequence again jack Plummer went off in this game like if those sentences are being said about your defense it's like a horrible defense uh I don't know what this game was yeah. truly insane. It was, I get it. It was in Berkeley and like, you know, road teams are having a tough time in the Pac-12 and maybe you just sort of say, yeah, whatever win you can get on the road this year in the Pac-12, like you're just going to have to take it. But God damn, this game was uh, horrific. I feel like uh, it was like, it was it was terrible in the first half because it was like uh, no one scored. And then suddenly both of these teams were just getting in a track meet with each other until they just punt, 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 punted uh, at the end. I don't know what to think about these teams. I don't know what to think about Cal. I like, I want to say they're as bad as Colorado, but like, they're kind of not I, like Colorado would get probably smoked by 40 by Washington. The thing, the thing about Cal is we like cannot understate how bad their offensive line is. And I know yeah. I've like clowned on the two Cal fans, maybe one Cal fan that I know for like blaming all their issues on the offensive line, because I hate when teams do that. But like they have Jaden Ott, who in my opinion, probably 
the top three running back in this conference, just like raw ability. And he's had moments this season where that's shown, but he had 2.7 yards per carry in this game. Like their offensive line is genuinely that bad that they can't even like get a small, tiny, tiny little gap open that he can sneak through. Horrific. And Jack Plummer was on his ass this entire game. Like genuinely, I was concerned that he did not go out injured because he was hitting the ground on every fucking play and considering how bad UW's defense is like that's a true testament to how bad this offensive line is so I think it's really hard to make something out of Cal here because their offensive line is genuinely probably the worst in the conference on the other side of it I think Washington the way I'm framing the discussion around them is I I feel like they're in a tier with me with Washington State and Oregon State right now and I'm trying to figure out how to rank those three teams um And, you know, a big point is the home road splits matter a ton in this conference right now. We talk about it a lot with the top four teams, but it's just as true in the middle and bottom, if not more true with this conference. This game probably downgraded Washington for me a little bit because I just don't think very much of Cal. Uh, And it made, you know, with Oregon State kind of surging and Oregon State's next game after the bye being against Washington, that's something I'm looking at a lot uh, as you know, it's a moment for Oregon State to kind of prove that they've fixed some things for themselves. Uh, and maybe that secondary can hold up against Washington's big strength, which is an elite pass game led by a bunch of elite receivers. I, I also felt uh, thinking less came out of this thinking less of Washington, too. Um, I don't know how you can't. Right. Like, I think uh, I think uh, especially defensively, especially late, uh, there was a, a lot of issues. I will say um I also felt less coming less about Kalen DeBoer coming out of this game. Uh, his game management down uh, the stretch was horrendous. Uh, he, like Avery said, like in one of the two points and uh, one of the two punts sequences in that drive, sort of threw a pass on second down. It was incomplete. Gave Cal a free timeout. Um, that was yeah. it. Sort of just it gave Cal life. They did not win this game, but it gave them life. Um, and they had to punt. They weren't able to get. It was like uh, ended up being a long third down, and then they had to throw it again. Um, and that was that was sort of it. And then they like committed a bunch of penalties to move Cal from like their own thirty to like the fifty yard line on that last drive. Obviously, Cal wasn't able to do anything about it, but um, Kalen DeBoer almost single handedly gave Cal some life there when they were up 21, 28 to fourteen. Um, I don't think he's a bad coach. Like, you know, I'm not saying anything like that. Uh, I think some of his game management decisions late this season have not been great. I think he's obviously put together a pretty good offense, even if uh, it didn't look great against Cal. But like some of these late game management um, uh, decisions here were were pretty baffling. So I felt I felt kind of worse. I also have to say he's hamstrung by a pretty bad running game for Washington. Like that's what helps you put away those games late. And I think the, you know, what Oregon was able to do against UCLA was put away the game because they could get five yards per carry consistently. Uh, and UW hasn't been able to do that even against bad defenses this season. And that really inhibits your ability to manage a game late when you have a lead. Yeah, it was, um, uh, I agree. And I mean, it's like, and they, in addition to an offensive line that I don't think run blocks well, their running back depth does not seem great. It's like Cam Davis uh, mm-hmm. uh, is like okay. Wayne Tula Papa, I, I think, is definitely not the 
the guy who should be getting the vast majority of carries here. Richard Newton, I guess, like, you know, he's okay. But, like, none of those guys are top five running backs, top six, top seven running backs in the conference, unfortunately. So they're just, they just have a, I think there's some, some roster issues here that hopefully Kalen DeBoer fixes, Um, you know, first year, like to go they're they're six and two. We're talking about them as if they're like, you know, three and three or something like that, but they, but they are six and two. They've got a couple of winnable games left on their schedule. I think um, I'm going to look it up here, They, but I I totally think like eight and four is, is very, very doable. They get, of Oregon State, Oregon, Colorado, Washington State. Oregon and Washington State are road games. They may be like they could probably beat Washington State. We'll see how that game goes. They could go nine and three. That could be they're, they're totally in play to go nine and three this season. That would be a great. Yeah, they first get year. Oregon State at home on a Friday night. So that yeah, um, we'll be a bunch of us are going to that game. <laughs> Did you know that mm-hmm. for some reason, like eight of yeah. like eight of our little friend group from the our various Pac-12 Twitter uh, happenings. Anyway, let's do a meetup. It's it's insane that they're on track to potentially go 9-3 and three after losing to Arizona State. Like, with yeah. that loss included. Uh, and somehow, I don't even know if they've... The past game's been better than I thought, I guess. But I don't know if they've significantly in, in overachieved what I thought they would look like. But I think that the schedule has just broken well for them uh and nine and three is definitely something to build on if they can get there or even eight and four yeah preseason my expectations for washington were seven and five so i i feel like i can't clown on them too much because they're like right on that track if not better but the hype around washington was just so fucking high after that michigan state game that it's like hard to like come back down to earth and be like actually losing it losing to ucla and arizona state isn't that bad because we didn't expect them to be as good as we expected after the michigan state game it's super right. confusing yeah a very com- it's uh it's really confusing but you know again something to build off of i think that's like it's not it's not bad so and again road games are, are weird they came away with a road win it feels like every single road yeah. win this season for a pac-12 team is like by the skin of their fucking teeth right like just and washington is very like true. disproportionately better at home too that's true yes um so you know i think that's that's got to matter for something at some point maybe we just have to throw these out and say whatever you got to win on the road in this conference like just just take it um no matter what the situation is so all right, well, let's move on to the other two Pac-12 games. Stanford beat Arizona State 15-14 to while scoring zero touchdowns. They scored no touchdowns, and they won this game. Uh, meanwhile, Oregon State blew out Colorado. Was it 40-9 or 42-9? It was 42-9. I have it wrong in my notes here. Uh, Oregon State blew out Colorado 42-9. Um, they they sent Colorado back on track to losing and being humiliated against the spread. Any takeaways from this particular game, Avery, you want to start us off? Either of these games. Um, I think it's crazy that Trenton Borgett didn't play um, for ASU against Stanford this week. It seems like after Emory Jones got injured in the UW game and Trenton Borgett led that to a victory and like very, was very convincing. I thought he was pretty good. I know UW's defense isn't great, but like he played very well. And in my opinion, he played better than what we had seen from Emory Jones. And a lot of ASU fans were expecting him to start. And it kind of just sounded like they didn't want to bench Emory Jones and make him second string quarterback over an injury. And I kind of think that was a mistake. This was a super close game. It wasn't like Emory Jones was horrendous or anything, but it genuinely seemed like Trenton Borgett was a little bit more of a playmaker against UW and kind of could have shifted the things here. So I know that ASU fans are calling for blood, um, 
because of the decision not to sit Emory Jones this week. Yeah, I, I w- I'll be honest. I didn't get that many eyes on this game. I mean, it didn't get any while it was going on because I was at yeah, the Oregon you, game. Good for and, you, honestly. <laughs> but I was surprised. <laughs> I was surprised to see when I looked up the postgame win expectancy on collegefootballdata.com, Arizona State had a 99% postgame win expectancy in this wow. game. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't know why that was, but... <laughs> You you don't know you don't know why that was. Reed. Stanford scored zero touchdowns. Well, because I didn't really watch. <laughs> I, all I had to tell you was Stanford scored zero touchdowns. The kicker, the kicker was interviewed after the game. Like they had him, they had him on Pac-12 Network after the game. They're like, "Wow, this is the first time we've ever given a kicker Pac-12 Player of the Week. He's kicked five field goals." Oh it was my unhinged. This is the worst. This is the worst game. I I was watching it and I have no takeaways from it other than how did ASU not win? Like absolutely pathetic that they couldn't they couldn't beat Stanford. Stanford was doing nothing. Um, there was Caillou Poo Kelly got like beat multiple times in this game and it just ended up being nothing. It was nothingness. <laughs> Truly. It was a bad game. Yeah, a terrible, terrible game. Emory Jones, 14 for 25, 227 yards, one touchdown, one interception. This is what it is. Like, Emory Jones is like, okay, he's there. Like, it's not like, he's not like horrific. Yeah, he didn't have a but, bad game. But like, you know, Trent Brigette, I think you're, I think you're right on, on sort of uh, Trent Brigette. Uh, on, I, I guess uh, I'll switch us to the Oregon State game. Uh, I think Oregon State runs, Oregon State's run game, I don't know, maybe it's Colorado, but they look back to me. Um, they look. They oh, look. They looked good last week too. They looked really good last week. They looked really good this week. I think they may have found something here with Damian Martinez. Damian Martinez, twenty-two rushing attempts, one hundred seventy-eight yards, three touchdowns. That's eight point one rushing yards per attempt. He looked awesome this game. He looked awesome last game yeah. too. Uh, I think they've really found something with him. I think that uh, offensive line is starting to put some stuff. Um, put some stuff together uh i think that uh deshaun fenwick got zero touches in this game um zero he was not even on the field i'm not even sure where he was it was uh they've he's clearly fallen out of favor uh in the rotation here um the i think freshman i think it was a freshman jam griffin got some uh got some run here so uh i think they look really good they're their quarterback situation is not great. Ben Gobranson had fourteen for, went fourteen for twenty two, two hundred two yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions, but did not. Uh, I don't know. He did not look good. There was weren't great throws. It felt like okay. his his receivers were sort of stretching to grab those. Yeah, I I will say <laughs> we praised Chance Nolan so much at the beginning of the season, but was Chance Nolan playing well? What was holding back Oregon State's running game? Because. I think like it was very safe to say after last season that Oregon State had one of the best rushing games, if not the best rushing games in the conference and going into this season, it just has not been there. But since Chance Sloan has been out, since they've had unreliable quarterback play, they've been elite. So I'm back to say that Jonathan Smith should not throw the ball more than 15 times a game. He should go <laughs> back to what the what is the root of this Oregon State team, which is running the damn ball. And I think it will just go very, very well for Oregon State. This win kind of told me re-emphasize like how important it was for Oregon State to survive that game for Stanford 2 weeks ago. Like that was such a shit show of a game. They absolutely <laughs> yeah. should not have won. Last second, like weird pass gets caught, runs 30 yards, they win. 
Uh, and then they beat Washington State at home. And now they look like maybe they're back to the team we thought they were after they played USC close. Um, they get a bye week, then they go to Washington. That's going to be a huge game for them. But after that, it's Cal at home, Arizona State on the road, and then Oregon at home down the season. I don't know if I believe in, you know, the 10 and 2 uh, prediction that Avery had with, you know, the run <laughs> after USC and Utah, but it's starting to come into picture that that's possible. Uh, it's starting to look more like that in a way that after the Utah and Stanford games, we thought that was dead for. And maybe this team will be lucky to go seven and five or something. Now they're picking up steam towards eight, nine, maybe 10 wins. Yeah, I think that Oregon State is so fucking good at home that traveling to Utah on a Friday night when we know how bad teams are on the road on Friday nights and we've seen that every time, what is the record? It's like at home favorites in the Pac-12 are like 30 to 1 against the spread, something fucking crazy like that. I think getting over that UW game is huge, but then they get Cal at home and then they travel to Arizona state and Arizona state is looking like maybe the worst second worst team in the conference right now. Like it's very downhill until they get Oregon at home. So this could shape up to be like a very big ending for Oregon state, which would be very fun for the, the narratives. It would be uh, James had a great question. Oregon state at home is a top blank team. Does anyone have any, have any thoughts about this? Like where would you rank? They're probably top 20. Oh, they're we're talking about nationally? I thought we were talking about the Pac-12. Oh, uh, nationally, they're receiving votes right now to yeah. be in the top 25. Yeah. So but when they're I at home, where would you put home, them? Mm-hmm. If they're purely at home, they they played Utah on the road. So if they got Utah at home, that'd be a much closer game. I, I think it's safe to say they'd be top 20. The Washington State win was really impressive, I thought. like I think Washington State's one of the better teams in this conference, top half, and they handled them. Uh, and the USC performance, incredibly pr- impressive, holding them Despite to 17 four, points. Four interceptions for Chance right, Nolan, yeah. and they still took it to the end. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I like that top 20 number nationally. Uh, in terms of in this conference, I don't know. I mean, there's such a big split for everyone, home versus road. So if we're ranking all the home teams, like I think they're probably fifth. Uh, I still won't put them in the top four. I but. don't know. UCLA is better on better on the road than home apparently according to carlos <laughs> uh i i think that uh i think oregon state probably the i'll say this here's here's a way to answer this question the gap between oregon state at home and oregon state away feels bigger than the gap between uh the home teams and the away teams on other in other teams i feel like i feel like if uh i feel like oregon state would probably have the best record in the league if they only played at home um, they just look so much, much, much better. So we'll see. I think that's a, a good question. I, I really am curious to see how they play in Seattle uh, on November fourth. That's gonna that's gonna tell us a lot if they can come away with the win there. That that game I think will matter. A it will matter. Does Washington also have a bye week there? They do. Yeah, Washington's on bye this week. So we're talking about. I mean, that's interesting because it's the sort of the dark horse, fifth best team in the Pac-12. Sort of who's going to get eight, nine, ten wins, maybe even. Um, that game is going to decide that. Um, Oregon State and Washington are sort of on the same tier. Oregon State, I'd put them a tier above right now, but like Washington easily could jump into that next tier. So we'll we will see. Uh, okay, that's uh, that's it for the recap of the games. Let's move on to MVPs. Avery, start us off. Who is your MVP this week? 
Ooh, that is a hard... I haven't thought about it. I know I was supposed to think about it. <laughs> Fuck it. I'll say Troy Franklin was my MVP. Okay. He was fucking electric. I know it should probably go to Bo Nix, but mm, that's boring. Um, <laughs> Troy Franklin was amazing in this game. He looked like one of the best receivers in this conference. He made UCLA's defense look stupid. I had a ton of fun watching him. I think he's he's got that duck in him. <laughs> uh yeah, I'll say Bo Nix. I think Bo Nix had the had uh, very easily the the loudest game. I think the most impressive game. Uh it was it was great. So, uh, I'll say Bo Nix. Reed, what about you? Who's your MVP this week in the Pac-12? I'll go with Kenny Dillingham or as I like to call him Kenny Dillingham. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Avery gave, was like fucking? I gave him so much shit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just like making fun of people, and I think making fun of really high-paid um, coaches, <laughs> football coaches, like it's fair game. Yeah, 100%. because they Monster. aren't giving their money to the poor. Um, <laughs> I just don't like him. I don't like the way he looks. I don't like his name, but he had a good. He had a good game. He had a good game. He had a, he's had a good few weeks, really. Uh, so cringy. Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a very cringy human being. Uh, honorable mention for me, Damian Martinez. We just talked about him. A big, big game. He's come through in the past couple weeks and, and really broke out against Colorado. Very easy to have a possible MVP candidate against Colorado. But any other honorable mentions? It sounds like the Stanford kicker also deserves a shout. <laughs> I didn't watch yeah, the game. But. What's his name? Uh, it's Joshua Cardi. I watched the whole segment he was on, and yeah. he was super awkward, but he put on the hat, and apparently no player has ever actually put on the hat they've given him. <laughs> so they were, Ashley Adamson was stoked about it. He, there, she was like, oh my goodness, thank you for putting on the hat. <laughs> unreal. Unreal energy. So funny. Watch that. So stupid. This stupid fucking game. This stupid link. All right. Uh, thank you for sharing your, uh, your MVPs. Let's take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, We'll talk about Pac-12 quarterbacks and take a question from a listener and make our picks. Aww, what's wrong there, young sports fan? My life is falling apart. My family left me because I won't shut the fuck up about my favorite team, the Oregon Ducks. What you need is to join the rest of the flock at the Quack 12 podcast. Sounds great. Is it some kind of drug? Will an eighth be enough? Because I'm chosen really bad. No, it's not a drug. It's even better. It's the world's greatest Oregon Ducks podcast. So do I snort it? Visit quack12podcast.com to find free weekly episodes and links to the Quack 12 Patreon. I'm sold. Who needs a family with drugs like this? Quack, quack. Uh, we're back. We have a question sent to us from Twitter user at Vigo Vigo Carpathian. I can't. I don't know. V i g o c a r p a t h i a n about the Oregon running backs. Uh, this is not really a question. This is more like a statement. But uh, wanted it, wanted it on the podcast. Said, hey, listen to your podcast with Reed. One very minor gripe. There's a strong feeling in the Oregon base that Travis Dye would have struggled to find the field as a starter this year at Oregon because he's undersized, only started when Verdell was injured, uh, and we don't think Verdell was that great. This may or may not influence Dye's decision to transfer to USC, whose offensive line is not as good. While Dye is good in the open, Irving and uh, Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington are both manifestly superior at breaking tackles and yards after the catch. Um... I'm just going to say this. I think that's all bullshit. And this is coping for Travis Dye being extremely good at USC. But I'm going to kick it to Reed. <laughs> Reed, what do you think about this? I think Dye, I, the staff, I don't think, was willing to get into a bidding war over keeping Travis Dye. And I think USC wanted him. I don't know exactly what they offered him. He also had a kid and wanted to move back to Southern California. 
good on him. Uh, I would say Oregon's fine in his absence. Um, Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington have been two great additions. Uh, and I think Whittington might have been in the fold when they hired Lachlan. Uh, and also, you know, Byron Cardwell was the guy that Oregon expected to be their lead back. Uh, and then kind of four months later in May, Oregon stumbled into Bucky Irving entering the portal, uh, added him, and he's been really good. Uh, great. I mean, he is elite contact balance, uh, always breaks tackles and gets extra yards. But Travis Dye is a really good running back, too. Um, I think Oregon's fine without him. Uh, and overall, I think they're better in the running back room than the Ducks have been since Royce Freeman was there, probably. Uh, but, you know, Travis Dye isn't a scrub. He's been doing well this season. Uh, Avery, are you? do you think that this is coping from Oregon fans? Oh, my God. Uh, all right, no, we're not. Avery's going to figure out her mic issues, and then we'll we'll come back to her. I think this is. I think this is. I said that question because I th- I think this is coping from from an Oregon fan trying to justify the fact that Travis Dye looks like insane and like a Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year candidate at USC. Um, I mean, I, I like Oregon clearly, like you said, Reed does not miss uh, Travis Dye that much. Like Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington have given them some really great run. But Travis Dye looks, I'd say if you had me picking a running back right now, Travis Dye is like the second best running back in all of the Pac-12. Um, he's behind Zach Charbonnet. Um, so I don't know why, well, I don't know why, why Oregon fans are telling me that uh, <laughs> Travis Dye is worse than both Noah Whittington and, um, uh, and Bucky Irving. But That brings up an interesting point. Uh, we've got QB rankings coming up, but I'd love to do running back tier ranking sometime. We don't do that as often, but there are a lot of really good backs in this league, whether it's Ott uh, or Damian Martinez or the Oregon backs, Charbonnet, Die. I'd be interested to see where everyone has those those slotted in. Yeah, I think it'd be I think it'd be interesting. Uh, well, let's let's go on to talk about QB rankings as Avery still tries to figure out uh, her deal there on her end. Uh, as an official welcome to No Truck Stops, we asked Reed to put together his Pac-12 quarterback rankings after week eight. So, Reed, uh, how about you read, 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 how about you go through your Pac-12 quarterback rankings and uh, we'll react to them? Yeah, at the top, there's a lot of debate here. I was close to pulling the trigger, but I, I decided to give it to DTR. Uh, I do think he was outplayed yesterday by Bo Nix. I genuinely believe that. Uh, but I think full body of work over the season... DTR's passer efficiency rating still leads the league by quite a bit. Uh, and he just has such a good control of that offense in his fifth year there. Um, so I'll go with DTR number one. Number two, I have Bo Nix. He's up from number four last week uh, where I would have put him. He was just excellent on Saturday. Uh, he outdueled DTR, like I said. He hit the deep pass to Troy Franklin and a few other ones that tested the UCLA DBs. Uh, and he's just had a lot of poise in converting big third and fourth downs all year, whether it's with his legs or with his arms. Uh, third, Caleb Williams, Williams most, most talented quarterback in the conference. Um, but I think he's, I, I have the other two above him right now. And then Cam Rising, fittingly, top four conference, top four quarterbacks in the conference go with the conference's top four teams. Uh, Rising's been really good as well. Also, uh, our buddy Sigma U in the chat saying Cam Rising is the best running back in the Pac-12. Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
okay, so that's the top four. Any any quips, Avery? Yes, hear you. You're back on. Shit. The reason I asked Reed to do the quarterback rankings because I was really hoping he'd put Bo Nix number one, and like I wasn't gonna disagree with him either. <laughs> I think that Bo Nix has the best path to be the first team. Yeah, quarterback in he's, the Pac-12. He's in like, the best he situation. Genuinely is set up to look very very mm-hmm. good. Um, like right now their schedule is kind of, you know, they play Utah, they play UW. UW doesn't look great. I expect Oregon to win that game and I expect Bonex to look very good against UW. Um, since their defense is so bad, Utah's defense doesn't look good either. So Bonex could easily tear that apart. And I think those two games are going to be like pretty big time, like national wise. And I think that's going to give a lot of good press to Bonex. I don't know where he is in the Heisman ratings right now. And that's probably a step too far, but I think he's probably in the top 10 within the odds. He was on the cusp of it before this game. And this is obviously game day, big national setting, and he played excellent. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think you were right to probably put DTR just above him. It feels weird to talk about Bo Nix that way. I will say he has the best situation there um, at, at Oregon. I think I, I don't really, I don't want to discredit Bo Nix here, but I think if you put Caleb Williams, DTL, or even Cam Rising in Oregon's offense, they are going to look like Heisman candidates. They will be, they will be, they they would probably be Heisman favorites right now. Um, I think he's, uh, I, I'd, I'd still put him fourth. I would say he's performed the, the you know, top two. Um, but I, I guess I'm just... Uh, He's just in such a good situation um, and doesn't have to, isn't forced to make nothing. I think Caleb Williams and DTR, both quarterbacks are forced to make make magic out of nothing. Cam Rising, I think, has a, 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 bit, a bit of a better situation, but still nowhere near as good as, as Oregon. So I guess that's that's the other thing about it. But okay, so that's your top four. Let's hear the, the rest of your rankings. Yeah, I would say my tier 1.5 is one dude. It's Michael Penix. I think he can look like he belongs in that top four on the right day, especially when UW's at home and with their wide receiver talent. Um, but the running game doesn't help him that much, and the offensive line isn't elite. Um, but he's at five. Then I'd go Jaden Delora, Tanner McKee, and Cam Ward uh, in my next tier. Uh, and then to round it out, Ben Branson, Jack Plummer at 10, Emory Jones at 11, uh, and then jt shrout or whoever the hell starts in colorado (laughs) they always switch it up on us yeah it's all very confusing we're relegated to just having to do like like colorado qb whoever that is sounds like makes us sound like we're casuals (laughs) but we clearly have no no idea um avery thoughts about the rest of those rankings Okay, I know I'm like way high on Cam Ward, uh, and so I go. like I can't be I can't be upset that you ranked Cam Ward so low though, because there's like genuinely no way to know if he's better than Jane Delore just because the situation he's on within his own team. Like I can say all day that I think Cam Ward's better, and I genuinely think that if Cam Ward was on Arizona, had the weapons that Arizona does, had the running back that Arizona does, which is like an insane upgrade compared to what he has at Wazoo, mm-hmm. he has no one at Wazoo. Um, he doesn't even have like a competent offensive line. I think that Cam Ward would be insanely better. Um, but like I, I just can't. There's no proof <laughs> because his team is so his offense is so bad. So I'm just I'm hoping that they can figure shit out and he comes back next year and he proves everyone wrong. But like I have no gripes with your rankings because like how they're set up and how they've been playing, like it's totally fair to rank them that way. Yeah, I think it's hard to do these rankings without 
you know, with trying to remove the scheme and situation element of it. Like we have to evaluate these quarterbacks yeah. within the context of their offenses. A guy like Tanner McKee too, like he has a ton of arm talent. Uh, if he was put in a perfect situation with a bunch of elite wide receivers, he, you know, he probably could spread the ball around and be a pretty, pretty good quarterback. Um, if he was at Washington, for instance, I don't know what that would look like, but yeah. you know, Stanford isn't, isn't great and so he has to be slotted in that middle tier uh and yeah with ward i i agree maybe if he was in a better situation he'd be better i think he's a bit of a first read quarterback and i think he leads the pac-12 in interceptions right now too which is a problem yeah he uh cam ward is seventh i'm looking up some some stats here from sigma ute he mentions that uh, DTR leads the league in pass efficiency. He's the only Pac-12 quarterback in the top ten, and Cam Ward is top top sixty eight in pass efficiency nationally. He is <laughs> he is seventh in the Pac-12 in passing efficiency. It goes uh, DTR, Bo Nix, Caleb Williams, and Cam Rising. Almost uh, that that's actually uh, exactly what you have read in terms of pass efficiency. Maybe you just sorted this and uh, Ooh. <laughs> no <laughs> catch. <laughs> um, okay, well that's that's good. I I don't have any gripes towards the end i'm not high on cam ward i feel really weird about him i'm not sure that he's a first read quarterback it's just more so that he i i I feel like he just i feel like he tries to do a little bit too much uh a lot like Jaden delora i feel like Jaden delora is a somewhat more mature not very mature but somewhat more mature version of cam ward where i sort of think okay let me tell you why i have an issue with you saying cam ward tries to do too much he has to do he has to do everything yes he has no (laughs) choice but to do too much he has no running back like their running back play is non-existent he has really untalented wide receivers and his offensive line is shit so like of course he looks like he's trying to do too much because he's their only source of offense whereas Jaden Delora when he looks like he's doing too much he might have the second best wide receiver room in the conference third I don't know between Singer Cowing and Tet he has an amazing set of receivers to throw to and Michael Wiley isn't a bad running back especially compared to what Wazoo has he's like elite he's a heisman candidate compared to what wazoo has so when you say cam ward has to do too much like no shit yes he's all they have i think that's fair i get it it. sucks that it has to be that way yeah i i think that's fair i get it um i just i don't know i don't know he's the best thing about that team but i'm defending someone that refers to women as females on tiktok this is this is a new low for me have we talked about that have we no, talked about how we have, Cam Ward's social it. media presence is like low key problematic, but no one's there. No one's there for him on that team. <laughs> it's so sad. Uh, maybe they're all just based based players, and they're like, we don't Cam Ward. He's saying females out here. He's kind of being misogynist. Let's let's not uh, let's let him get uh, hit. I guess I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> that's yeah, the that's reason. what it is at Washington State University <laughs> in Eastern Washington. Yeah, exactly. Please. That's exactly. All right. Well, uh, anything else about these quarterback rankings before we move on here? All right. Let's go on and do our game predictions. Time for a standings update from Avery. How about you give us, uh, tell us where we are in our picks. 
Yeah, Matt's not here today, so I had to go fucking update everything. Matt, like you have one job. Um, <laughs> anyways, after after what turned out to be just a not fantastic week for me, if if Cal would have won and they were pretty close, I would have like gone up four points ahead of everyone else. But Cal did not win, so Greg is in the in first place with forty seven points, followed by me and Carlos who are tied at forty six, and Matt is at the end with 44 i don't know how we're gonna factor reed into this <laughs> well we'll try no reed has a t- how many points does reed have right now avery zero all right perfect that's what it is put that on the graphic <laughs> uh this is this is what reed gets uh this is what you get for being insufferable all the time you're gonna start at zero reed and it's gonna look very dumb at the end of the season when you have 12 points <laughs> uh okay all right well at after what was an extremely light week, four weeks, uh, four games uh, just this week, we're back with five Pac-12 games for week eight. First up, uh, we get a weekday game for the first time in a couple weeks. Utah traveling to Pullman to take on the Cougs at 7 p.m. Pacific. We'll be having a watch along on our Discord server for this game. Avery, I think, is going to be there. A couple, uh, I don't know who else is going to be there. I won't be there. I'll actually, I'll actually be at this game. Uh, I'm very jealous. Uh, it's going to be so fun. It's going to be fucking freezing, I think. Uh, we've talked about how bad the vibes are for this game since the, fe- the schedule first came out. We were talking, we've been circling this game for a while for Utah as a trap game, as a, as a very, very scary game. But Utah is an eight point favorite on the road. Avery, who wins, who covers? Okay, so this one's this one's really difficult because it looked like when the schedule came out that the Pac-12 was saying a big old fuck you to Utah. Sending anyone to Pullman on a Thursday night is fucked up, let alone a team that is one of the favorites to win the conference. That being said, Wazoo's looked really fucking bad. Their offense is super one-dimensional, but I've picked this game as a bad vibe game all year. So I'm going to stick to my guns here and pick Wazoo to win this game. All right, Reed, what about you? Yeah, I have a similar thought process here. My reasoning is that a lot of people have thrown out in trying to do the math for the conference title race. Like, let's assume that none of the top four teams lose to anyone else. I just don't see how that happens. And I feel like this is as good a spot as anyone as any for one of those top four to trip up. So I'm going to go with Wazoo as well, but I don't feel great about it. If Utah doesn't win this game, I think it's you can't just blame it on it being in Pullman on a Thursday night. Like Utah fundamentally has something going on. If they this is an incredibly easy team to scheme against, this Wazoo team. They have injuries. Like literally all you have to do is shut down Cam Ward, especially since Utah's front seven have been the worst like part of their defense so far. That shouldn't be an issue as much because they don't have Wazoo doesn't have a run game. So if Utah loses this game, it's like very embarrassing in my opinion like this isn't a game they should lose at all on paper yeah that's a great point i've got uh i've got utah winning this one big uh i think that they have uh i think their defense is gonna have a field day i know it's had uh, some rough moments but i think they're gonna try to get their confidence back up against that washington offensive line and uh i i don't uh i i think washington state's defense is maybe the best in the pac-12 i don't know that that's saying much and Utah's offense is elite, so we're gonna we're gonna see that put to the test. Okay, uh, next game up. After what did Greg and Matt pick? Uh, Greg picked. Uh, I don't know what Greg picked. Matt picked Utah. I thought he said he sent it to yeah, you. He didn't send it to me. Greg. Greg. Oh, is a Matt liar. picked all. Greg picked all the favorites. Greg picked all the favorites, so that would be Utah for him too. Okay, that's what he said. All right, next game. After positioning themselves at the top of the Pac-12, Oregon heads to Berkeley to play Cal at 12:30 Pacific. Oregon is a 12-point favorite. Read who wins, who covers. I'm pretty surprised by this line. I think Oregon is 
better than 12 points better than Cal, um, if that's how you say that. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely go with Oregon to win and cover. Avery? Oh, I have to go last. You go. <laughs> okay. I have to think about All right. it. All right. Uh, Matt's got, uh, I'll, I'll go him first. Matt's got Oregon here. Greg said he's picking all the favorites as usual, so he's going Oregon. This game is, uh, I think this game is weird. Uh, Cal, this game is bizarre. I, I, I like get why Oregon should probably be favored by more. I don't think Cal is going to win, but I think this game is going to get very, very, very weird. Uh, I'm going to say Oregon. I don't think they cover. I think Cal is going to keep this close somehow because they're just a fucking bizarre team. Uh, but uh, I'm going to ultimately pick Oregon. Avery? I want to pick Cal. I want to pick Cal so fucking bad. <laughs> Ugh, but Cal is so bad, but it's in Berkeley, but Oregon looks so solid. I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm going to deactivate my Twitter account if Cal wins this game, but <laughs> just fuck, do it. Fine, just I'll do it. If you, oh, fine. Okay. On. I'll pick Cal. I'll pick Cal. I'll pick Cal. Is this your bad vibes game? Yeah, sure. Oh I don't God. know. Does that have meaning anymore? I picked Wazoo to beat Utah too. I'm just going to be unhinged. Let me be unhinged this week. <laughs> this is a bad vibes week, I guess. Uh, next game up fresh off. This one might have bad vibes too. Fresh off of their bye weeks, <laughs> Arizona is hosting USC at 3 p.m. Pacific. USC is a 14-point favorite. Reed, who wins, who covers? Any of these three could really be bad, vibe, bad vibes games. I think you got to expect at least one of them to drop this game. Um, I'll go with I'll go with USC to win, but Arizona to cover. God, this again, uh, game is, is in Tucson. I, USC could beat uh can absolutely beat uh uh arizona and tucson that's like not but there's something's weird about it uh i'm gonna i'm gonna say i'm gonna say usc wins i'm gonna say arizona covers i'll stick with you there uh obviously matt has usc and so does greg avery (laughs) okay let me cook i'm going with arizona (laughs) (laughs) is this your bad vibes game also (laughs) Yeah, this is my bad vibes week. I don't <laughs> unhinged. Oh my goodness! Uh, it uh, it is okay. The the vibes do not stop. Let's go on to the next game. Uh, two worst teams in the conference now. ASU traveling to Boulder. ASU is an eleven point favorite over over Colorado. A- uh, I'll leave you for last, Avery. Reed, who wins? Who covers? <laughs> I can only imagine this is the sickos game of the it week. It is absolutely the sickos <laughs> game. It has to be. Oh! <laughs> Ew! What the fuck? Oh, gee. 11 points is a lot, <laughs> but it is versus Colorado. I'll go with Arizona State to win and cover. Uh, I um, Matt has Colorado winning this game. <laughs> uh, Greg picked the favorite, so he's got Arizona State. I oh my god Arizona State looked so bad but so to call I'm gonna say Arizona State I'm gonna say they win I'll say they cover because again uh, but then it's the road no I'm gonna say they cover I'm sticking to my guns Avery is this your bad vibes game also <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna pick Colorado on this one too <laughs> Fuck. I might as I might as well just keep it going this is truly insane okay uh, finish finishing off the night is UCLA. They're hosting Stanford <laughs> at 7.30 p.m. after a loss to Oregon. Uh, UCLA is a 15-point favorite. Reed, who wins, who covers? 
Honestly, UCLA's loss last weekend didn't downgrade them very much for me at all. Uh, and I think Stanford's last two wins have been pretty unimpressive. So I'll go with UCLA to win and cover. Yeah, I think UCLA should win. But if they're on fraud watch and they have to play Stanford uh, and Stanford's coming off two wins and and frankly, they should have beaten Oregon State. It should be three wins in a row. Oh, God. Uh, and Stanford doesn't give a shit about home field advantage. They never have. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to pick UCLA to win. I don't think they cover. Uh, Greg and Matt both have UCLA. Avery, who do you have winning this game? Stanford is on a fucking heater right now. Stanford fans keep adding me. Stanford fans keep adding me on Twitter. I'm like, bitch, you're three and three, but... What Stanford fans? What are you talking about? Just make up There's these There's like accounts? at least two. There's at least two that <laughs> message me. I'll pick Stanford. I'll do it. Oh my I'll, go, God. I'll go five for five on the underdogs. Perfectly, me and Greg, perfectly balanced as all things should be. This is absolutely unhinged. I will point out that there's a stat. I can't remember what it is updated, but Pac-12 home favorites win almost every single game. How Four of these games, the favorites are all the road teams. And then there's Stanford and UCLA. So, <laughs> you know what? I feel <laughs> I feel unhinged, but let, let's ride. Let's ride. If you get like two of these right, I think it's gonna uh, the points will actually help you out here in our Honestly, point system. Honestly, if I get if I get one of them right, it will be as if I went undefeated with the point system because <laughs> the spreads are all the spreads Insane. are all fucking crazy. They're all double digits except for Utah. That's eight points. Oh man, this game this week is going to be uh the the vibes are horrendous this week, I think. Uh like every single one of these games I think we were sort of looking at them being like, "Ooh, that's a tough spot. Ooh, they have to play there. Ooh, they have to play there." Uh all of the all of the all four. Okay, question for you all. Uh real quick. UCLA, Oregon, USC, Utah. The top four teams in the Pac-12. Do they go 4-0 this week? They can't, right? One of them has to lose. There's no way, I think. One of them has One to of them lose. Has like, to. We've, like Reed said earlier, we've been talking in the hypotheticals if all the top four teams win every game except for when they play each other. But like that does, that's not going to happen. Not in and this, this conference. This is the week. Yeah, this is the week. Uh, and three of them are on the road. The only one that's home, at home is uh, UCLA. So, well, okay, pick one. If you had to pick one of the four, one of the four top four teams to lose this week let's start with you reed who is it well i picked it i'll, I'll go with utah oh uh oh yeah, yeah you did i, I agree it. Yeah. i th- i think it's utah i will say i also picked usc to lose to arizona preseason so the odds that these are all and i've been saying cal oregon for like three weeks so the odds that these are all the same week is kind of funny there is one <laughs> I, I, here's my pick there is one there's one team that consistently consistently regularly drags teams into the fucking mud and makes every single game very hard to watch. And that's Cal. <laughs> Cal is the only team of these four that's like, eh, we're just going to like make this the worst fucking game you've ever watched. Uh, I'm, I think if I had to pick one, I'm picking Cal. Uh, I'm picking Cal to beat Oregon. I think they could totally do that. Um <laughs> oh, this conference is... I think we're going to get silly this, Oregon this week. Oregon has just looked like the most complete team. So that's why I have a hard time saying that because Cal's been so fucking bad. And Oregon... Like, 
with Cristobal last year losing to Stanford, that was like a lot of it was game management, and we haven't mm-hmm. seen that from Lanning. But I don't know Berkeley. It's a weird we'll, place we'll have to see what happens. Oregon, Oregon has had their struggles in Berkeley before. They've had struggles against Cal before, also generally. So we will, we will see. Okay. That's it. That's our show. That's all we have this week. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. If you're so inclined, support us on Patreon at Patreon at NoTruckStops.com, Patreon.com slash NoTruckStops, whichever one. Uh, that's it. We'll have our basketball episode dropping November 1. So get ready to talk hoops with us for the first time in, I don't know, six months. That will be fun. And if you want more Pac-12 football content, it's all on Patreon. Anyway, that's Reed. That's Avery. Greg and Matt, not here as usual as they uh, work out their personal problems with each other. I'm Carlos. Thank you all for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Rumors still and thick with smoke. So digging makes you choke. The crowd vibes in. The coffee's kicking in my patience. So everything said I'm lonely. Other than a single sax on a quiet city street.